This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM. My name is Chris and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who's an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Thanks, Chris. AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership, We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Annie. So, what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness you or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you are at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over what we will, of when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without Mm -hmm. alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. 
This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share the experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself and give us a quick sketch of who you are? Thanks, Chris. Um, my name's Annie, and um, I'm an alcoholic. I, um, I'm here today um, not speaking on behalf of Alcoholics Anonymous, but from my own personal experience of getting sober and staying sober uh, one day at a time within the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. So roughly how old are you, Annie? Um, I'm 62. And how long, roughly how long have you been sober? Okay, so I've been sober 28 years now. Yeah. And do you, do you work still or have you got a family? Or Okay. Yeah. Um, yes, I, um, I work just like most folks, um, go out to work. Um, I've got family. Um, you know, friends just live a, a normal, regular life. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where did you grow up, and what was your childhood like? Oh, okay, sure. Um, so I grew up in a, um, in a small town on the West Coast. Um, it was just a fairly typical mum and dad, siblings, had a privileged life, um, had, had a batch that we would have our holidays as a family together, um, Played sport, um, so didn't didn't want for anything. Um, knew had no experience growing up um, of alcohol, of parents drinking. If they did, it was very spasmodic and usually associated with Christmas or a birthday. So when did you start drinking? How did it progress? Okay, so well, I did what I thought what most teenagers do, Chris. Um, I drank. It started probably when I was about 15 or 16. Um, that's what people did, wasn't it? And so I did that. And also I played a lot of sport. I was mixing with older people. So they were going to the pub. So somehow the next thing at 16, 17, I'm sliding into and fitting into the pub scene. Uh, and that was all very acceptable. So, um, But really very early on when I drank, I got drunk. And um, but that's what I thought people did, and so really, and it didn't interfere with my life at all. Um, as I got into my twenties, I um, what started off as okay and fun did accelerate, and so um, I finished up increasingly drinking more, getting really secretive about my drinking, beginning to experience what they call blackouts. Uh, I say waking up, I never woke up, I just came to the next morning wondering what I'd said, what I'd done, but somehow seemed to let that slide by and not worry too much about it. And then, and that kind of a feeling of disconnect almost, but it didn't stop me from doing, leaving school, getting a profession, travel, um, family, uh, it didn't stop me from doing that, but increasingly that feeling of disconnect, that the, the drinking is accelerating, but I'm still getting by, still staying under the radar, 
haven't been DIC'd, haven't had to, haven't been caught out basically, Chris. So I kept going. Do you know why you drank? Um, <clears throat> I know that when I had the first drink, I can, I, I was a gin and tonic drinker. And I'd have that drink and I would feel that feeling. I'd go sort of all sort of soft and light right from my head to my toe. And so it started, it was comfortable. It was, it was, it was enjoyable, but it didn't stop there. So beyond that, I had no control. I had no control over my drinking. And I knew that by other people around me, Chris, because they did drink one or two. Or they might go out... I'd be out with my friends and they might, you know, have started a glass of wine or something, but then they wouldn't finish it. I couldn't do that. I couldn't leave a glass empty. Would you think that you were a social drinker or did you binge or was it daily? Oh, mm, yeah. So um, I was a binge drinker. Um, so usually around um, my days off, um, that would be a signal to drink. And also to kind of just behave erratically all round, to just be, I, I would eat erratically, binge on food. Um, so, yeah, I, I couldn't drink during the week because, well, I knew what would happen. And, it, and, and sometimes I would, wait, I would be drinking during the week, which would be unusual, but I'd have to wake up hungover and then phone work and lie lie, make up a, a lie about why I couldn't go to work. Because I couldn't, I couldn't physically go to work. How did you feel? Did you have any decline in your mental, emotional, spiritual well-being? I think probably that was it. I mean, certainly there was the physical changes in, in terms of my tolerance, in terms of the passing out, wetting beds, lying, just emotionally, just not feeling right knowing that there was something not, something not right about me. Um, and I guess it was, it was that deep, you know, the truth about me and my alcohol that I couldn't get honest. I didn't even know how to be honest. I wasn't even sure really whether it was the drinking. Um, and so I went on search to find out about that aching, that longingness, that sadness, that I'm not quite right. You know, I don't feel right. Um... And so I went to counsellors and psychotherapists and whatever. Uh, and they, people would ask me, Chris, about how much I drank. Well, I just lied. Because how could I tell them about how much I drank and what happened when I drank? I thought it was only happening to me. So, yeah, no, I... Just that terrible, lonely feeling of everything sort of externally is kind of intact still, but deep inside, I'm not right. When you sort of realised you needed help with the awfulness of your drinking, mm. have you lost jobs, relationships with family, friends, loved ones? Um, I haven't lost jobs, but there for the grace of God, that could well have been me. I haven't been caught out as such. Um, in terms of relationships, looking back, now that I've got some, rec now that I've got recovery and wholeness in my life, my husband didn't have a wife, my sisters and brothers didn't have a sister, my friends didn't really have a friend, was, my colleagues really didn't have a colleague, now that I, looking back, absolutely, it, 
I lost a lot mm. through through drinking. Yeah. The absenteeism that we you've just described so well. Yeah. So how did you find your way to your first AA meeting and what was it like? Okay. I um I remember my last drink, Chris, and my husband and I were going out to a birthday party and I just said this little prayer, oh God, please don't let me drink too much tonight. And um, and I didn't actually. And I did wake up the next morning and I had a friend who'd already started going to AA and so I didn't plan this. I wasn't thinking about it, but the next thing I've called my friend and for the very first time in my life got honest with somebody about what happens when I drink. And she said to me, do you want to go to an AA meeting? I said, yes. So I went to an AA meeting and I went in and there was something really special happened. One, I was really, really frightened, absolutely petrified. But two, I knew that I was in the right place. And then people in the room started sharing about what happened when they drank, and I knew that I was in the right place. But that was really scary, just that intimacy of someone talking about the secrets, the, the, the life that I had been hiding and living. It was really powerful and really, really sad. So what would you say was the feeling you took away from that first meeting? Well, relief, relief that I could hear that I was with people like me. Um, I'd had a I had a preconceived idea about what an alcoholic was. I mean, I didn't grow up with active alcoholism in my home, and I had a preconceived idea. And so um, I was to learn that um, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women. We all come from all different walks of life. It's not who you are or how you are or what you're wearing or where you're living. It's, it's the common denominator is what happens when you drink. Mm -hmm. So how have you managed to stay sober? What's your <laughs> process of recovery? Gosh, I mean, if someone had told me 28 years ago, Annie, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna stay sober for the next 28, I just, 28 years, I wouldn't have believed it. How could you live life without alcohol? <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, I believe, um, one, there was somewhere to go to for help in the first place, and that's Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was introduced to a program, one, to people like me, and two, to a, a program that would help me to stay sober and also... And not only just sober, but to offer me a new way of living. Third thing was I was going to need some help with that. So I needed someone to walk beside me. So I heard people say, you're going to need a sponsor, a friend, a companion, someone to walk beside you. So, and I was told, you know, women ask a woman and men ask the men. And so I asked somebody and, um, and so, and not... To begin with, you know, I didn't do a lot really, but just slowly over time, I developed a relationship with my sponsor. We start going through um, the treatment, basically, taking, adopting 
a treatment program to be able to to get well and um there was that but also there was um what this way of living asks of me is that I'm powerless over everything and that I need people in flesh but also I'm going to need a spiritual awakening I'm going to have to have a power greater than myself and I don't know I that <laughs> I was very slow to open into that um, relationship with something greater than me um, but eventually I did and so absolutely that there was something greater than me in my life working that was going to help me to, to, to stay and keep and stay sober. It's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it, that we're powerless and the obvious answer to that is a power. Mm. We can't find it. Mm. <laughs> so how did you cope with the difficulties? Um, well, thinking back, uh, I believe there was something greater um, looking after me. Um, sometimes I would have to, for example, people in AA explained some safe behaviour initially. So, you know, do you, do you really need to go to that party? Um, what are your motives for going there? And also, but it doesn't mean that we can't go out socially, far from it, but also some, uh, a plan B, basically, if, if I thought that I was going to pick up. Basically, you, you told me, pick up the phone or take some action rather than pick up the, the first drink. And so so I had some tactics, you know, and, that, and, and, pho- and phone numbers, lots of phone numbers, meeting lots of people, people I'd never met in my life, and they're handing out me their phone number. Phone us any time. We want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. So, and here in Christchurch, we've got so many going to meetings. Um, but I got to that point... You told me I need never drink again, so things are going okay. I'm not doing too much of the treatment as such, but I've stopped drinking, like you told me. And I got to about 18 months sober, and I thought, oh, maybe it wasn't so bad after all. And actually, maybe I got it wrong, and maybe they got it wrong too. So I mentioned that to somebody, and where, who did I mention it to? Someone in an AA meeting. Why would I have done that? And so they said to me, um, <clears throat> well, we don't want you to drink again. Um, but if you, think you, if you think you need to, then go and try it. And really that, that was helpful, but not helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew that I couldn't. Because I, I, I'd heard enough by listening to people who came to AA, who come to AA, who then go out and drink again and then come back and tell and would share what had happened. I knew that relapse was not good. It wasn't kind. Alcoholism isn't kind. It's, it's, it's brutal on me. So, um, so, yeah, that was actually the best thing that someone could have said to me. How important has service been as part of your oh, recovery? Mm, mm. It's absolutely critical. It's ab- absolutely pivotal. Um, it took me a wee while, um, you know, in the, those sort of early two or three years, because you see, I haven't gro- I hadn't grown up. I'm unreliable. I'm unpredictable, Chris. So you know, people would say, "I'd be we're going out to another meeting, or we're going to take the carry the message to the prison." They'd turn up, and I'd say, "I'm not. 
I'm not feeling well. I'd lie, basically, because I didn't want to. So, um, but I did, I was lucky, I think, that I got a sponsor who was very heavy into service, right from the word go. And then I, so I naturally just kind of uh, merged in with other people who were doing service. So really, it is a foundation, it is a core thing that I have to, um, uh, that, and, and to begin with, sometimes it was, oh, well, this is what we have to do, we have to do. Now, um, there's a lovely piece uh, from one of our um, AA members, you know, love and service. That, that service is not just service because this is what we do, but because we love service. So for me to want to reach out and help somebody as somebody was there for me, to potentially offer them a life-saving um, helpline, is is yeah that is that's what I'm meant to do now. How would you describe your life, the life you have today? Well, <clears throat> you know I'm 28 years sober. I told you that, and um, if someone had told me it for 10, 15, 20 years, this is as good as it's going to get, and it was good. I'm not drinking. There's some you know, travel and I'm going to meetings and I've got this fellowship and my behaviour's changing, I would have said, okay, I'll take it. Now at 28 years, I would have sold myself short, well short. And so um, we talk about a day at a time, Chris, and it's like my life is a day at a time. So how I felt yesterday to how I feel today even is different. And in some respects, depending what's going on, there's, it's, there's a, a fullness and a wholeness, which I didn't even have the day before. So every day offers an opportunity, a way of living for wholeness and fullness. We talk about, you know, happiness, joyful and free. So do you have goals for the future? What are your goals for the future? <laughs> talking about that with someone recently you know when you apply for jobs which I don't apply for them anymore um, you know what are your goals for the next five years and you've got to have a goal so my goal is is just one day at a time to be present right here in this day in this now I don't know what the future is going to bring and that in itself is a freedom but just to be open to where uh, to my my the power source in my life is leading me to. That's my goal. So AA is described as a spiritual program. What does spirituality mean to you? Mm. Um, spirituality, I'm pausing there because I, it, it took me to about 15 years of sobriety, so I'm kind of just newer, newer on the spiritual journey. I know that I'm a spiritual being. I know that I'm loved and wanted. Um, I know that um, I have to have practices in my life that bring me closer to the power of my understanding, and we have a step around that, prayer and meditation. Um, it's incredibly important. And what would you suggest for any listeners that think they may have a drinking problem? What advice would you give someone that would help them to decide whether they needed help? Well, um, you can phone the 0800 number 
and that that would be a starting point. Um, if you know somebody um, who's who's got a drinking problem, just if you can get honest and and talk with them about it. Um, <clears throat> but um, no one could diagnose my my alcoholism. I have to know myself, and I knew deep down inside me. So if you think that. Even if you're just beginning to think about it, it may well be worth making that call and reaching out. Yeah. Annie, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Thanks, Chris, for being here. It's a pleasure. Now, for our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business but if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We'll now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, God. grant us serenity. serenity. To, to accept the things we cannot change, change courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> radio show on Plains FM 96.9. Mm-hmm.